Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Use code DNVR when you sign up for a new account to get amazing odds boosts every single day. Rudo, Jesse, Megan, AJ coming at you live as we're going to talk about the future of the Central Division. Uh, it should be an interesting show. As I'm sure we'll get everything exactly correct and not be wrong about anything. <laughs> but before we get into that, obviously the news of the day, Paul Stastny signing a one-year, $1.5 million deal with the Carolina Hurricanes, another potential 2C off the board for the Avs. But more than that, that was surprisingly cheap to me. How do y'all feel about it? I, I mean, at this point in the offseason, I guess I would have been surprised had it been too much more than the mill and a half. But mm-hmm. I do. I would have. I would have expected Stastny to come in at like two and a half, maybe, maybe two. But yeah, I guess. I, I guess on the cheap side. But at this point in the off season, like, is anybody going to get four million? Well, and so that's kind of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? When we were just listing some of these guys that were still out there. You know, Paul Stastny's name was one of them. Uh, Evan Rodriguez, PK Subban. You know, there's still a few of these dudes out there. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, AJ. Like. We're at a point where if you're still out there, you're probably not commanding that much market value. Um, you know, Rudo, you, <laughs> you kind of made the joke before we started with these dudes that are still hanging out out there. You know, we were all talking like, what are you still doing? If you're still out there, you're one of these guys. And we were saying once seven or eight teams have all called with about the same offer, you made the joke like, you either got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, is this what my actual value is or are 32 GMs conspiring against me here? <laughs> and the first one seems way more plausible than, than the latter. So I don't know. I, I do just kind of think AJ makes a good point that if you're still hanging out out there, I don't expect to see the deals come in much higher than this one. Yeah. It's, it's just at that point, and especially you look at the the term of it, just a one-year deal for Stasny. Now, Stasny is certainly quite a bit older than uh, than some of these other guys that are options out there, but it, it's at a certain point, you get far enough into the offseason and the players stop having the leverage, right? You start to see the teams be in control of these situations and get more of what they want out of the players' contracts. So, yeah. on the Stasny front, I seeing him go... Are we are we starting to move into the camp of the expectation for the Avs is they're not going to pick up another forward and just kind of at least to start the season run it however they want to Miko at two C promote Comfort whatever. 
I'm fully expecting at least one or two PTOs to come out of the 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 group, and whether or not that guy like him, I would be surprised if a PTO ends up competing for a two C job. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, we've seen them hand out PTOs pretty much every year. Uh, in the last number of years, yeah, a guy like Zach Aston Reese is actually a great example of a guy that I would give a PTO to. Um, where elite, elite defensive metrics doesn't do a lot offensively, but can certainly help your bottom six. Okay, I'm good with that. Like that's 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 the kind of quality depth that keeps you from having to having to rely on some guys that maybe the Abs aren't comfortable relying on. That's also a guy that ensures that a you know Maltsev, Kout, those guys probably aren't going to be part of this. So upside downside there, but I I do think that a PTO or two is still likely. Um, honestly, the back end looks ripe for a PTO for me. There's enough like okay-ish defenders still sitting out on the market. An easy 7D to find there, for sure. Exactly, and with, with Curtis McDermott kind of both D and forward, he can kind of just be the extra guy wherever you want him at those spots. So, I would I would say that a, a defensive PTO and a, uh, and a forward PTO both make plenty of sense to me. So, because this is something that you know I've seen and heard a lot. Give Newhook a shot. I really yeah. do firmly believe that Newhook is part of their long-term plan at 2C. It's what they're hoping for. But I see a lot of people say, just give him a shot. When you are talking about the top of the lineup in the NHL, you're kind of beyond just giving people a shot. Like, do you have to be... You have to be building line, you know, a line around them. You have to be putting them in, in positions to be successful. Newhook just finished his rookie season. I really do. I think he's part of their slow burn, their hopeful eventual 2C. I think that's why they weren't super gung-ho to give out much term. I think it's why they are likely going to start the season with Miko Ranton in there. Or kind of like we're saying here, maybe you bring in someone at the last minute that can kind of flex in and out. But like... This to me will be the year if they really want new hook there, this will be the year they start ramping it up for him, giving him some of those reps in, in bigger minutes. You know, if they get back to the playoffs and they need fill-ins at 2C, this will be the year uh, where you start to see some of that. I feel like people took last year's the abs not having any interest in him long-term. You were in the middle of a Stanley Cup run and Alex Newhook was a, a rookie playing in his first full NHL season. Uh, it's it's tough to do. I imagine they are going to attempt to ease him in there and see if he can do it. Um, but if you were to just plop Alex Newhook at 2C on day one, you are setting him up for failure. So I, I know people want to see that. I get people are, are anxious for him. I think he's got a lot of really high upside. There's a process to get there. And that's a little bit about what today's show is about. I think, too, it'd be different if the Avs had their hands tied and didn't have the space and ability to do a league minimum contract for a PTO by the start of the year as a nice backup option to alleviate some of that pressure off of Newhook, and they mm -hmm. have that ability to do it. So they're really, you know, there's no need to to thrust him into that role 
needlessly when there are some options, not even just internally, which we'll talk about kind of in the show, but just outside of that too, um, at the start of camp that the abs could consider. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, between Rantanen and new hook JT Comfer, and maybe on the outside, a guy like Ben Myers, there are enough guys that you could talk about in that spot that internally they're like, one of them might have got to work. Right. Like, you uh, kind of to what Jesse was saying, though, you would assume, you know, unless they try and it just goes disastrously poorly, whatever they decide to go with, they're going to give 15, 20 games of yeah. a, a relatively set unit on that second line just to see if they can find a something. Now, it, you know, again, you get to December and things change, you get to the trade deadline and maybe they go out and get someone to solve that problem. But in the immediate, I would expect them to try and find something steady at the very least. Yeah, and then, you know, th- th- there's two other things there. I just wanted to throw another name on top of what you were saying, AJ. You know, not to necessarily play center, but Gabe Landeskog can be some good support, uh, you know, if they feel like they need a little bit of extra uh, structure and another guy who has some ability to take some face-offs with that second unit. Um, if if they feel like that's a combination that, they need, and then again, my my favorite thing. It was told to me a couple of years ago because I was sitting there like, "Well, what are they going to do? They got to do da 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 da." And I was reminded, and it's always good advice: your roster doesn't have to be set before training camp. You can get in, you know, you can try a couple things out, like Rudo just said. Give Miko 10, 15 games. Give New Hook ten games, or whatever, whatever you want to do. Yeah, if you get to Christmas and it's like, "Wow, this this really isn't working." And, and it's having a negative impact, then you can go out and make some moves and make some changes, um, you know, bring someone in, whatever. Uh, you're fresh off a cup, no need to do something that's that's going to be silly. And I, I honestly think that the Avs handling this 2C position the way they have this summer is, is ultimately the, the right way to do it. In the same way that I think the way that Calgary handled the departure of Johnny Gaudreau and uh, being told that Matthew Kachuk wasn't sticking, they didn't panic. They took their time. They looked around for the right moves. They made it, and it led to some some subsequent moves that uh, I, I think everyone agrees that they might be a better team this year than they were last. Uh, I do think that um, with them not wasting cap space, just trying to be like, okay, hey, here's four or five guys, you know, on 800K deals that may or may not be in the NHL, and if they aren't, or they're going to go down to the AHL and pout and screw that whole process up for you because there are a lot of teams out there that will do that. They throw those kinds of deals. You look at Florida's bottom six right now, looks awesome. But when they have to start making decisions and guys who think that they're NHL players end up in the AHL, a lot of times they sulk. They don't feel good about it and they don't they don't give you the kind of response that you really want. Um, Colorado's not doing that and they are going to have... A, if they stay, if they stand pat right now and they don't make any additional moves, uh, they are going to have a head start on flexibility to make any big yep. move, small Great move, point. whatever, because they're sitting at right around four million in cap space. Depending on how you kind of want to add it all up, uh, they're right in the range of four million in cap space. That's going to give them an advantage trying to fit in a a salary or two in season if that's the direction that they decide to go. So there, there is that upside to it as well. I mean, we've talked about their trade assets. They're pretty light on them at this point. 
But if they do want to make one one last big splash for a while, they've got enough that they could do that. But then they really are like you're like the well is dry at that point. Um, but the the cap space that they're sitting on right now does give them a leg up in in flexibility in season to try and do something. If they if they so choose, they could they could just have the option and have that gap space and just be like, wow, we just didn't need to use it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I do want to shift us towards our main topic of the day. We're already talking about the Avs, so we can start there. Uh, the inspiration here was a little bit of a reminder that the Avs are the Stanley Cup championship team here. And you look at the Avs five years ago and they were coming off the worst season in modern NHL history. So five years can drastically change the landscape of the NHL to a level that, you know, obviously we're not going to be able to predict here, but we're going to do our best to be able to see at least the trajectory that teams are on um, over the next four or five years, you know, relatively. For the Avs, obviously they're at the top of the league right now. Uh, They kept together a significant portion of their team. As far as players with the team long-term, you have Landeskog, Nachushkin, Lekkanen, Kale McCarr, Sam Gerrard, Josh Manson for four years, and then we're assuming Nathan McKinnon will sign his extension at some point and be here forever. Uh, so there's a significant number of guys sticking around with the team. You look at the you prospect add, You could add Byron to that list just because his team yeah, control. RFA, like, sure. A new hook, too, because their team control is ex- is extensive it's all four rfa years for both of those guys yeah so um they won't be going anywhere even if they br- even if they bridge next offseason they're still going to be abs for a while so lots of pieces that are still abs the prospect pool obviously quite a bit thinner than it has been in the past we've talked about that already do we see the window is still being open five years from now uh, I think, uh, assuming that the McKinnon deal gets done, as long as you've got Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna be competing. So yes, it, it becomes the Pittsburgh Crosby Malkin thing. That's that's been the the Penguins war cry for years now. If Crosby and Malkin are still in town, they're going for it. To AJ's point, I imagine McKinnon and McCarr will kind of become the Abs version of that. If you've got these two, you've got a chance. We'll, we'll, we'll make a run for it or you're, you're in the conversation at least. I look at how well they handled the last trade deadline too. And were able to make decisions to help fill the kind of perceived holes too outside of that core. And they did it so well on, I won't say short notice, but it was such a good fit um, that they could also have proven that they can solve these types of problems later in the season. If outside of the core players like the McCarr and the McKinnon and Rantanen, um, that they can address some of these problems on the fly as well. Yeah, the most immediate core piece that they're in danger of losing is probably Devon Taves, I would say. Um, we'll see exactly how that plays out with a couple years left on his deal, what they want to do there. Um, but for the most part, again, assuming McKinnon stays, the core of this team really isn't going to change that much over the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, you got to be feeling good. If you, I mean, this is what you want, right? Like, <clears throat> how many years have we spent talking about this? And again, this is kind of what we're going to get into here. Um, 
the Avs necessarily haven't haven't necessarily done it as much in terms of like promoting your you know promoting from within and having those cheap contracts from within but this is the ideal setup you win a stanley cup and you take a step back and you say wow we have the bulk of our core locked up with some term and none of them are deals that you're sitting there and saying oh that's a that's a tough one i mean like we see it all the time we see it every year teams that sign a deal and even if you like the player it's a big deal it's kind of a hard pill to swallow. You have to work around it. The abs don't really have any of those where you don't feel great. So, um, yeah, you got to like it. Got to like it. Yeah, I mean, they want to they want to Stanley Cup working around the discomfort that they felt with Eric Johnson's deal yep. in the last couple yep. of years. Now, it obviously helps when you have a comical value on your hands, like <laughs> Kale McCarr on an ELC or Kale McCarr making $9 million when he should be making twelve. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, obviously Nathan McKinnon making 6.3. Like, it's easier to do when you have one of those deals, and they won't have that moving forward. But, like, let's be real here. They still managed that cap really well, um, especially when you consider they added four guys at the deadline last year. Yep. Uh, and they got salary retention and all kinds of everything along the way where – they didn't ever dip into LTIR. They just stayed above um, yeah. throughout the rest of the year. It was it was good work by them. Um, it'll be a lot harder moving forward. But you do think, though, that when the cap does make its inevitable rise again after they've paid down their credit card debt, <laughs> that, you know, that, that cap's going to take that jump. And all of these deals, like the Arturi Lekkanen deal, by the time it expires, we might be looking at it like, well, that's insane value at this point. <laughs> um, really quickly, we have a birthday for Kenneth today. Appreciate you watching. Uh, happy birthday. Incredible that you share one with Ali Monroy. Uh, Unbelievable. <laughs> and a question, well, not really a question, a statement from Will saying, the abs window, I think, will depend on depth and goaltending, which uh, it never does. Grubauer, Kemper, those aren't prospects promoted from within. It's off-season, yeah. free agency and trade deadline acquisitions. You want the prospects to be the solution, but it's okay if they aren't. If you have the Colorado Avalanche front office, the the yep. abs the abs bucked a trend last year and proved that if your team is just is just that good, you don't have to have the elite goaltending that that we've seen teams rely on in the past to win a Stanley cup. They do stand out as the exception to that rule. You don't, you don't want to rely on that in the future, but people always talk about things like, Oh, it's gotta be, you gotta have the depth and you gotta have this and that. You really like to win a Stanley cup. Totally. But to compete and to be involved in chasing a conference final and this and that you really don't. Um, I mean, you, you look at you look at St. Louis last year. Like St. Louis gave them a great series. Like that was a that was a great hockey series. And as much as it should have been over in five, like St. Louis wasn't even a good defensive hockey team, and they managed to make that thing interesting. Uh, Tampa Bay did it. You know, Tampa Bay made things interesting. Now they sacrificed all semblance of offense to do it, but they made it interesting. Just blocking shots and system and blah 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 blah. But you look at Edmonton. Now they got swept. 
I understand. But they made a conference final with no bottom six what's, that was worth a damn. And a, just kind of a uh, blah defense and an okay goaltender. And that was a conference final team. And again, I understand they got swept. But I don't I don't think that you necessarily have to like you so much in the postseason is just timing. You 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 get you get a good matchup. You get uh, uh you get injury luck goes your way. It doesn't go your way. A guy gets hot. A guy goes through a weird cold spell. Alex Kalorn scored zero goals in the postseason for the Lightning. How different is the is the Lightning's postseason if that guy if that guy shows up in the Stanley Cup final at all? I said his name and Rex got upset. He knew. Yeah. So uh, you know, like these, what what where Colorado has its advantage and where it has it's if they can get the if they can get the McKinnon deal done, where they will have kept their advantage is in their elite players. That's the advantage. The draft, free agency, all this shit. None of it matters unless you have elite talent to start with. There are no like that's what made the the Blues Stanley Cup so fluky was that they were they were lacking outside of Alex Petrangelo, they were lacking in really any like truly truly like high end players. And well, I see your your other comment in the chat here, and I think the conversation you're digging at is the mistake teams make is overpaying their mid-range guys. When you're giving a third liner $5 million because you think he can be a second liner and it turns out he can't, yeah. that's where you get yourself into trouble. Yeah, or Terry Lekkinen. I mean, yeah. they've got to be – they have to be right about Lekkinen and Nichushkin. If they're not right about those big bets that they just made, this goes very likely this is a first and second round exit kind of team for a while now. They have to be right about the big bets that they've made. But postseasons, winning around here and there, they should be fine, honestly. With McKinnon and McCarr, with Ranton and Landeskog, with those guys in tow, with Bowen Byram, Devon Taves, they should be fine there's to not continue a, to compete. There's not a set formula like people like to make it out to be, you know, where. Oh, just follow this blueprint where. <laughs> These things that cannot be copied have to be copied. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. And 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 it's just it's just not. And that was to me that was one of the things that the Avs again kind of. And to AJ's point, as of right now, they are the exception to this rule for the most part. But it was just kind of that validation that hey, you don't you don't have to do it this way, where you have to be this like slodging, slow things down, play hard defense. You have to get you know, above 930 goaltending. The abs were good on both sides of the puck. They played with speed and their goaltending was good enough. And honestly, I, to AJ's point, as long as you aren't, as long as you don't swing and completely miss and do like a full 360 spin at the plate with those two contracts, if you are in the ballpark, even if maybe one of them comes in a little undervalued, hmm. With this group, they've got again. I'm not going to guarantee yeah, they're going to rattle off three or four cups, but to me, this group has another one or two in them. If all the things go right and all the things fall into place, I think they can compete the way it is, even with the prospect pool as it is right now. 
And, and again, you're in a competing window. If you are looking at prospects who you say, you know, name this show. Wow. If you're the ad and say, we, we think this prospect can be good for us in five years. That's probably someone that you're looking to flip at some point in the next couple of years to try to win a cup. Now there's an ebb and flow to the league, the NHL more so than any of the other leagues. Cause they're the only ones who enforce their salary cap. Um, and, and you're, I mean, on an that's upswing. not true, but I mean, to an extent, don't, uh, NFL in and NBA. In have, yeah. NFL and NBA have soft caps, luxury taxes, right? No. Um, the NBA does. The NFL doesn't. The NFL does not. All right. I stand corrected. But their, but their cap is like 300 million. So you're like, <laughs> and they also well, they can just cut people whenever they want. For yeah. Right, they have yeah, non-guaranteed contracts. Yeah. And, and I guess my thing is more of, in the NHL, it's not can you stay at the top? It's how long can you stay at the top? And that's why we've talked about teams in the last decade, like Chicago, like Pittsburgh, like Tampa, where they've been able to stay in that competitive window that AJ was talking about, or AJ has been talking about. How long can you stay there? And then can you, in a couple of years, grab a couple of guys, get a guy to come up through your system that can have an impact? You know, one guy, um, whatever. Can you make those little moves at the right time to get you over the hump and long went away of saying Megan and AJ agree with you guys. I think they've done enough to keep themselves at least in that window of competitiveness, even with the goalies and all that stuff that, yeah, you can, you can find yourself some nice moves here and there to, yeah. And, and really like you worry less about who are the prospects coming up or the draft picks and all that, because Kale McCarr is 23, because Sam Gerrard is 24, because Bowen Byram, you know, because these guys are all going to be in their prime for the next six years or so. You're really not overly concerned about that stuff now. 100%. I would say you really, because of the timelines of those guys, because you expect draft picks to take two to four, five, six years to become impact players for you. Uh, I would I would say that this is this is still not the year to be like we can't trade the first. But I would say in the next year or two, they are gonna have to go back to re valuing those as meaningful assets to keep and to start to develop on their own. Uh, I you know, another year, like their second round picks, they have consistently if they never make a second round pick for the rest of my life and they continue to use them on guys who are meaningful contributors to the NHL team for multiple years, I'm good. Yeah. I don't ever have to I don't I'm I'm fine with that, but it's the first it's the meat of the draft class, the third stuff like that. You do want to see them start to replenish their system uh, a little bit and not live with it because they aren't like the penguins. They are not a team that has been able to pull off the, you know, the old Mark Donk joke on Twitter the guy that you've never heard of that scores 50 points for them. Where you're just like, what the hell is this? Where does this guy come from? The Pens can always find those guys because their development system has churned them out consistently. That is not the case in Colorado. But if they use those draft picks and they go out and they consistently find contributors who stick around for a while, what's the difference? 
I wanted to shout out Will for mentioning goaltending in his original comment too, because it does almost belong in a separate conversation. We're talking about the, the prospect depth, but the goaltending is almost an entirely separate conversation because we've, in the spirit of cap compliancy and what the abs have done really well, this is something that they've taken a huge risk on for goaltending next season that could either really pay off or we could really be eating our words. And I think it's a huge risk. Um, it's a really creative solution for goaltending next year too in the spirit of cap compliancy. And it's a big unknown as well. So I wanna give Will credit for mentioning goaltending. That is going to be something that will be a big test for the Avalanche next season. It, it is absolutely the ballsiest thing that I think we've seen a cup contender do in a long time to just live with it. To, to, to say, we're going to be an organization that tries to find a solution at this position regularly. Um, they'd love to draft and develop. They would love Eustace on and in to take that job. But this is the kind of thing that you see on HF boards, right? Like, this is the kind of thing that podcasts like ours talk about, where you're like, well, look, it's really easy to see that the goaltender position is cost inefficient, and there's all kinds of mistakes being made. Why do they keep doing it? But then you're the team that's in a cup position and you're like, okay, well, look at Washington. Like, they're going to ride or die with Alex Ovechkin into his late 30s. And part of that, like, they just gave Darcy Kemper the money that the Avs wouldn't because Washington has been the team trying to do this, trying to get by on, hey, we've got young guys that we like in Vanacek and Samsonov. And, oh, well, this isn't, this just isn't working out. Okay, so now they're like, all right, we're going to go back to a traditional. We're going to go get a guy that's proven it. We're going to go get a really good NHL goaltender in Darcy Kemper. We're going to give him big money, and we're going to let him get old on our books, and we're just going to hope it goes well. And the Avs, in the prime of their uh, – with their prime guys all going through it, the Avs have said, we'll take our chances at goalie. It's so ballsy. And if it works out, it's the ultimate flex. And if it doesn't, we're all going to look back and be like, "Well, but I, 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 I really don't know if I'll be looking like that." I mean, like seriously, I, I really do. And I think this is kind of what they're saying. Who was it, Rudo? Was it you? Who, Maybe who you took that like real hard stance of like, oh no, I remember who it was. It was someone on Twitter. Uh, took this real hard stance of like, yeah, there's no sense in even trying to evaluate a goalie because it's different from year to year. And I disagree with that thought process completely. But I really do. I just think the Avs kind of step back and are like, we believe in our structure and our system enough that we just need someone competent back there. And I really do. I think unless the goaltending is actively bad, like horrific, but well below league average. Uh, I, I mean, like 800s for both goalies, mid 800s. I just don't think it's going to be enough to like, to what you were saying earlier, AJ, like take them out of contention. Could it maybe end up burying you in a playoff round like it did for Pittsburgh last year? Maybe, maybe. But I, I just... I think they're comfortable taking that gamble because they believe in their system, in their players. And they're just saying, look, we, we think that there are enough goalies in this middle tier of good 
average to slightly above average that as long as we have one of those, we're in the fight. And again, we've made this point a thousand times. They had average or below average goaltending in the playoffs and it barely made a difference. I really, uh, I will say, I know that we have to actually get to the yeah. topic that we're going to get to. <laughs> I will say, I just, I disagree that, uh, it's their system that they're leaning on. I think that they're just saying we're not going to pay a premium for a goaltender like that. Well, I know, we're, but I think they're, they're aging and they're and I, I I think that they're just saying we won't do it. Yep. Like we're That's not right. gonna we're not gonna have it. We're not gonna pay Darcy Kemper when he's thirty seven years old. We're not giving him five million dollars. We're just not doing it. Yeah. And they'll they they'll just continue to find the twenty six year old backup that they're scouting likes. Hundred percent. Yeah. No. So we're we're on the same page, and I'm just saying like they say. We don't, we don't feel like we have to do that. Florida felt like they had to give Bobrovsky $10 million a few years ago because it was the missing piece. They're just saying, no, a goaltender okay. isn't our missing piece no matter what. Well, I'm saying we have to move on. So uh, if you want to go check out more in-depth stuff on the Avs prospects, we did a whole show on it last week on their top 10. I'll also be doing a video on your entire prospect pool this week. So you can check that out when it comes out. Uh, we are brought to you by Sexy Pizza. You can go to sexy.pizza today to order. There's five different locations in the Denver metro area where you can get whatever type of pizza you're looking for. Absolutely delicious, whether it's just simple, easy pepperoni, just cheese, whatever you want there. Or you can go for some of their philanthropies, some more interesting pizzas like uh the my wife's favorite is always the jalapeno cream cheese but they have uh pesto pizza as well and, and a bunch of other ones whatever you suit your fancy on that one so check them out sexy.pizza today the philanthropies a bit of the proceeds always go to projects around denver and colorado to help out there too so it's a super cool project go check them out today also brought to you by DraftKings sportsbook which if you haven't noticed College football has completely taken over my timeline on Twitter at this point because, uh, you know, things are starting to happen again in the football world. So when you sign up to DraftKings with a new account and use the code DNVR, you can bet $5 to get $200 in free bets. But on any college football team, you don't even have to get the bet right. You just get 200 bucks in free bets for doing it. So go over there, go to DraftKings, bet on whatever you want. Just put the $5 down on college football, and then you get 200 bucks to just play with for fun. So Check them out today. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use that DNVR code to get the $5 on college football to get $200 in free bets immediately. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. One per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit and wager. $200 issued as eight $25 free bets. Restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com sportsbook. And uh, for your gambling problems, call 1-800-522-4700. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, We're going to look at the rest of the Central Division as well. Not the full league, but at least take a look at the direct competition for Colorado at this point. I'm just going to use Cap Friendly's list of by the salary cap. So that's the order we're going to go in. Sorry if it throws off the rest of the podcast. First up on that list is St. Louis. Right now, there are significant players they're committed to. Braden Shen, Robert Thomas. Sort of Brandon Saad. Then on the defensive end, Falk, Krug, and Pareko, all long-term commitments. And then, of course, Bennington in net, too. Uh, go ahead. Well, do you not have nothing to say? Sound like you're getting ready to say something. Uh, their prospect pool is 
not super deep, but they do have some solid pieces in there, such as Jake Neighbors. Uh, it, it, it dries up pretty darn quickly on the defensive end, though. Not really a ton to talk about on that side for St. Louis. Scott Barunovic. I actually have asterisk because he's 24. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't fully broken in, so I'm considering him like a, he wouldn't have graduated, but yeah. Okay. So that's like that's it though. Like that's that's yeah, kind of your point. Of is that it's Scott Perunovic and that's it. So where do we do we feel like St. Louis is trending in the right direction here? Or do we feel like they're kind of stuck in the middle? Uh, well, so they lost David Perron. Yeah. Did they lose anybody else this offseason? I'm not looking at their cap friendly, so. I'd have to look. Let me see. I don't think anybody of, like, major consequence. Yeah, no. Okay. Um, I'm, side note, a little surprised that they don't have a new deal for Ryan O'Reilly. I guess I was just expecting That's that. That's just not done yet. Yeah. I yeah. thought I'd heard something from another outlet or show that there's a little bit of thought that he may test the market. A little bit. I I hope he does. I mean, he always has seemed like that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Hey, I mean, he's never been be a really UFA, good two right? <laughs> He's never he's never been UFA. I mean, he, he does. I, I'm with you, and this isn't like a a jab at Ryan O'Reilly, but like he does seem like someone that would want to see what he can get out in the open market. And you know, we've heard from Tarasenko at multiple times that he kind of wants out of there too. So yeah. Well, they're on expiring deals, so let's just say if both of those guys walk, which I guess I would be surprised by, but if yeah. both of them walk, woo, that's bad. Woo, um, <laughs> that's bad. The reason it's bad is because they don't have, like, Jake Neighbors is a nice prospect in a very St. Louis Blues uh, selection back when it was made. Uh, I remember when it happened, Rudo and I were like, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, very much uh, a Blues type of guy, big, strong guy. Uh, physical kind of weird because they've really transitioned in the last year to high skill at their forwards uh, with a, with a lot, I should say a lot more emphasis on skill than the uh, two way like physical, physical guy. Um, but they were, uh, oof. <laughs> they, they don't have much beyond that. Um, it's, it's like their last couple first round picks. And that rude's the only one really. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they still have the kid from the queue, Zachary Boldu. So, um, that's like those are it, and their neighbors is the only one pushing the NHL. So uh, it's like it's like neighbors. It's Perunovic. Certainly, uh, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Like those guys are twenty four, twenty three. The future, the future, like it's going to be built around them. The problem is, is none of their top five on defense. Uh, Colton Pareko's the youngest one at 29 years old. Yeah. Uh, and we saw him just get eaten up in the postseason. He had a bad postseason. At forward, uh, you do have Kairou and Thomas, but Buchnevich at 27 is also, he should be fine for the foreseeable future. But Saad, Shen, Tarasenko, O'Reilly, even if they keep all those guys, those guys are all going to be... Uh, they all turn 30 
or are, are already 30. So this is kind of it for them. They are going to be entering. This is sort of their, I, I think it's the last gasp of this era for them before they take that big downturn where then they start, they start mixing in 10th place finishes and you know, yep. Then, back and then, to, and then back it's a building here. Yeah. Exactly. And then it's how, how well can they retool around Kairu and Thomas? Because cool. they're going to need to basically rebuild their entire defense at some point. Um, and, and the commitments that they've made on that back end, uh, a defense that's already not very good. And they've got all of Letty, Pareko, Krug, and Falk signed for at least four more years. So enjoy that aging process, I guess. Um, if I mean, it- dude, this is this is what the Blues have done for decades. They just hung out. It's part of the reason why their cup a couple of years ago was so annoying. Because they just got rewarded for decades of mediocrity. They just yeah, hung around okay. long... What? Yeah, they're just okay. Like, like they they hung around just long enough till they found a year where the 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 path to the final was just slippery enough for them to get through, and then Jordan Bennington played a once in a lifetime, you know, six weeks. And but I mean, so I, this is part of the reason why, like, teams like the Blues are part of why these conversations are so. It's so hard to gauge teams because. Like, there's no telling how long the Blues will try to just stay mediocre. You know what I mean? Like, what all they'll do to stay just relevant enough. And for me, it's also another part of the reason why seeing guys like Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo be impact players for the Blues, it's, like, almost, like, surprising to see, like, whoa, these are a couple, like, skill guys you've brought up from within. It's an interesting conversation because, I mean, look, Obviously, ultimate success in the NHL is winning the Stanley Cup, right? But oftentimes, organizations view a successful season a lot differently than that. You talk about the end of the Red Wings era, where just getting into the playoffs and keeping that streak alive was essentially a win for them. Mm-hmm. So, you, without knowing what exactly an organization's goals are, yeah, this is very, very tough to, to predict accurately. Yeah. I think um, it's a useful tool of reference to looking at prospect pool specifically because I think people talk about the abs prospect pool as being shallow and in dire straits but when you look at just the rest of the division um, I don't think this is so far off from the abs current prospect pool it's a little de-depleted there's some forward depth coming up the ranks that could be good for them Um, and the difference is the abs are coming off the heels of having won a Stanley Cup so I think we can use this as a good launching off point too when we assess the current abs prospect pool along some other teams, I don't think they're in as dire straits as maybe other people have felt just looking internally at the abs. Yeah. And that comparison, I mean, St. Louis is also coming off of a recent Stanley cup and they're also one of the NHL's most aggressive organizations and saying, we're not going to take a slide back. So when, yeah. when Jesse, you know, when you mention we don't know what they're going to do to try and stay where they are. And like, you're calling them mediocre. They had like 109 points last year. We're like, I I think they're probably a hundred point team again, uh, but also a hundred points in the NHL isn't isn't quite what it used to be uh, with, uh, with the way that uh, overtime rules have kind of inflated team totals. But it's also like, Megan, you say that their their assets are similar. 
uh, to Colorado's, that's not necessarily a good thing for them because the way that they would stay aggressive is to move those assets. Now, they have a couple of more picks. They've got first-rounders. Um, they don't have a second-rounder this next year, but they've got their second-rounders and then all of their picks after that. So they have more of, more of those assets at their disposal. But how many of those are, like, meaningful? Like, oh, so they have their fourth-round pick in 2025. Right. right. Neat. Like, well, only, they only matter when they matter, right? Exactly. So that's where that's where I think, again, we're talking about this as in not a positive light because I think the Blues are going to be pretty good again this year. I think that they're set. Uh, they're set up to be uh, – actually, I really, I think they're boomer bust based on Bennington. Uh, but they, but they are, uh, they they're an organization that is led by a, a front office that is really smart and really aggressive at staying good and staying competitive. That's not that's not an organization that that really. When's the last time you saw them make a top ten pick? Like it, they just don't yeah. live in that area. Eric Johnson, that front office is like that front office is like. No, thank you. We don't yeah. want to do that. They got Leonard um, Johnson and said never again. Is that well, <laughs> it's really, I think Petrangelo was the next year. So it was like, okay. they were like, that guy, that guy, we're out. We, yeah. not interested. Uh, well, but it's, it's, and, and like, that's a, that's a testament to them. And, and it's part of their DNA to try and stay competitive like that. But they are, they are not, to me, they are not set up well. And, the reason I'm spending all this time on them is because I do think that they are one of Colorado's strongest competitors in the immediate. Today. But I don't. I three years from now, look if they lose O'Reilly, they lose Tarasenko. Even if they bring those guys back, those guys are both in their 30s, and they're going to pay for those declines. And how well does that go? That's a coin flip that every franchise has to make. So. Uh, I, I just don't see it right now with them. I don't. I don't feel like they have a very bright future. But well, then, any any big deal that comes along, the next guy that asks for a trade, and they are they're always a team that is yeah. willing to package assets and say we're going to go get Matthew Kachuk. I say they just tried to do it. They just yeah. tried to reset the clock a little bit. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and they will continue to do that. Yeah, and, and I thought Megan said something interesting there that I think is applicable. It's it's applicable to every team, obviously, but I, I think it'll it'll even kind of lend to this conversation in terms of I think there's really buckets that you can throw most teams into. For the most part, it's like two buckets, which are are you ready to start the rebuild retool? Are you contending? And if you know teams that have started the rebuild retool typically stay there for four or five years. Once you consider that you're contending, you're there for let's say three to five. And I think the central division, there's really only one team that I can think of that I think is maybe making some decisions on which bucket they fall into rebuild or contender. Um, and that's Winnipeg. And I think they're kind of trying to figure out what are they doing? Are we having to move some of these guys? Are we having to start over? You know, Calgary had to make this decision. I think when you look at the central, I think it's kind of, and we're going to get into the other, whatever it is, four teams, five teams, whatever it is, here in just a sec. But I think it's pretty much set in terms of these are going to be the teams that are rebuilding. These are going to be the teams that are near the top. And then you'll have a couple kind of falling into the middle that are 
in the middle of rebuilding or just coming out of the contention window? Well, let's move on to our next team here. And I'm, I'm curious where exactly you fall on this because next on the list is Nashville. Uh, long-term commitments on the forward side to Duchesne and Forsberg. Uh, also Colton Sissons, if you care. Uh, they pretty much have their entire defense locked up indefinitely. Yossi, McDonough, um, Ekholm. Then you have an RFA and Fabro, and then Lausanne for four years too. Uh, so a significant number of pieces locked up long-term for them. A significant number of guys with money committed heavily. But you look at their prospect pool as well, and they have Kamal. They have Leheru. Um, on the defensive side, they have Spencer Stasny, depending on how you feel about him. And then, of course, Askarov as the, the big goaltender in the system, too, as well as a couple of other death guy, depth guys, the Russian kid. They took in the first round in 21. Um, it, it's interesting how much they're committed to, but it still feels like they do have some prospects to work with. I think it's fascinating how little they have invested traffic capital uh, in their defense in the last several years. Um, just because we've watched them hemorrhage that that at that position at the NHL level for a number of years now, and their highest drafted defenseman in the last what four five years? God, it's been a long time. Yeah, since since they took Dante Fabro and Sam Gerrard in 2016, they have not used a single draft pick on defense in the first or second round. And I think that that shows in in the quality of their defensive prospects, because it, right now it's too early to tell for a lot of these guys. Um, there are some guys like I like Ryan Ufko. I think that he's a really interesting player. Uh, I liked him a lot on that loaded ass Chicago Steel team, but I'm I'm and as a as an NHL prospect. What does that guy become? I don't know. But I, I love their forward core, and I love the fact that they've got a young in his prime UC Soros, and they've got uh, Askarov on the way as well. Because the next time that... Uh, Askarov is, is already in North America. He'll be in the AHL this next year. By the time that Soros is up for a new deal, they could consider moving that guy. Uh, if Askarov continues to move quickly through the system and they've got a number, a young number one that they can move out in UC Soros, uh, a guy that is undersized and very reliant on his athleticism to be as good as he is, that's not necessarily the archetype of a goaltender that you want to bank on aging well. So I think they're set up. They're set up in that area. They're set up at the forward core. Ruto ran through them. Um, I'm a really big fan of of Kemmel, the guy that they drafted in the first year, first round this year. Uh, Svechkov and Larue the last couple of years. I think Luke Evangelista might be a big time steal for them. Uh, coming out of the OHL um, was a second round pick for them in 2020. Uh, and then I've always been a big Tomasino guy, and he's already in the NHL. I'd like to see him get a little bit more uh, more opportunity next year. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that at forward, I, I love what the Preds have going on. It's just defensively, where is it? Because right now you're like, we're sure hoping that all these guys we've taken in the third round and later become, you know, buck the trend and become real players for us. It's, 
yeah, for me, it's still about executing the transition, right? Obviously, the defensive side is the big one there. We saw Matias Ekholm's game just completely fall apart in the playoffs. It was yeah. not good. Um, but you have Ryan McDonough, who who has been very good, but he's 33. Even Roman Yossi is 32. Yep. Even on the forward side, Matthew Shane's 31. He's a he's a player archetype, like you talked about with Soros. Probably isn't going to age super well based yeah, once on those legs go. Yeah. Uh, even Ryan Johansson, 30. Mikhail Granlin, 30. They're not over the hump yet, but if you're looking five years out, they have to succeed with replacing these guys. Yeah, and I do think that they're in a good position to to replace some of them. Now, obviously, not all these guys are going to hit, but I do think and and the big change that they've made in their scouting is that they're they're what they've gone after at forward is a lot more skill and speed based than what we've seen early on and through most of the Predators' history, which is a lot of like smart players who are good two way guys where you would consider them uh, low-ceiling, high-floor guys. You know, fast movers through a system, too. That's not really what they're after anymore. They're going after a lot more of the Eli Tolvanen's boom or bust, really high offensive upside. So their scouting has changed as the game has changed, which is always an encouraging sign for a front office. But you're right in that they've got to... That transition has to go smoothly, They've got to find their own Jordan, uh, Jordan Kyrie, Robert Thomas to kind of transition into to say, these are the torchbearers of the next generation um, until they find those guys for sure, uh, you know, to be determined. I think, I don't think Nashville is going to do any of that. I think they're going to move a bunch of those prospects to try to win in the next four years. I think David Poyle is, I, I think everything that you just said is what they should do. And I just think that they got a good year out of a bunch of those forwards last year. And they're like, ah, we figured it out. And I think they're going to move a bunch of those guys and do a bunch of really dumb stuff to sell out short term and then be faced with all these exact same problems uh, in just a couple of years. Because I, I just, they came close and then they fell out of it. It looked like they were way out of it. Maybe they were going to tear it down and rebuild. They got a good year out of them last year. Uh, I think David Poyle's got, a few more silly moves to make uh, in the next few years. And I think they're going to tear down a lot of that prospect covered personally. I mean, they, they kind of already tried to with the McDonough. Well, the, mm-hmm. they went and got McDonough and then they signed Nita Ryder. Um, they're, they're already like filling up space that you, that they should be trying to now Nita Ryder. I should, I, I'll say they're filling up space uh, with McDonough. Like, I loved that move. I thought that was exactly what they needed, assuming mm-hmm. that Ryan McDonough doesn't completely fall apart now. It's, you know, I still think their big problem, which is the one that has plagued them for years, is needing a proper 1C. Now, they had an 80-point season out of Matthew Shane. That's great. Is that at all sustainable? History says no. I This, this is where we're going to disagree because – that that line was at least somewhat competitive with the Avs in that postseason. The rest of the team wasn't. Ryan Ryan Johansson, the rest like Yakov Trenin starred in that series because sure. somebody else had to show up. And we're talking like the guy scored like three goals. And 
But I'm, I, I'm saying I just don't. I, I think that everything beyond their top four players at forward last year was not good. But I, I don't think we necessarily disagree. I'm just saying without their top line having a career year, they're not even competitive. Yeah. Is Matt Duchesne going to continue to have career year every year into his 30s? I don't know, but increased uh, uh, increased depth makes it easier for you to have a normal Matt Duchesne year where he scores 70 points. Megan, where do you stand on this team? It was a team who, in our draft the other day, whose bottom six I would not consider because of what happened in the playoffs outside of the top line, even just the middle bottom six area. There was a lot of concern. Um, so it would remain an area of concern going into next year. And I, I think it is a good point, too, that outside of star players having career years, there are a lot of major concerns then that remain if they cannot all play to their performance because Forsberg was pretty absent in the playoffs and it hurt Nashville in a big way. I mean, and I'm not trying to like be a dick, but like 70 point Matt Duchesne, that is not regular Matt Duchesne. You're more of talking like 55 points is like, that's what you can expect out of Matt Duchesne. Like the 86 is... That's a huge, I mean, that's, that's I mean, a that's huge comical. goal. Yeah. Like he, he hit that's 70 points part. in Patrick Waugh's first year. And then after that, his, his high was 59 until this last season. Yeah. And some of that, I mean, some of that is also, yeah, that's fair. All right. Um, which I, I'm not trying to like, well, actually, oh, but right. like, it's more of just one of those things where it's like, hold, like, you know, even if you're hoping for Matt Duchesne to hit 70 points, and it's not just Matt Duchesne, you know, it's it's Ryan Johansson, even Philip Forsberg had a had a big year last year. Um, are you going to continue to get that? As like we've said, these guys are on the backside of 30. All those guys. Let's not forget that Roman Yossi had a near 100 point season. Not that <laughs> Roman Yossi isn't that good, but again, you yeah. turned 30. That guy's also year. 32. Yeah. Like, are, are we really expecting that guy to put up 90 points again? Right, right. Oh, well, yeah. I totally expect our 32-year-old defenseman to have another 90-point season. That's our plan. Which is also 30-something points higher than he's ever gotten in his life. Yeah. Yeesh. So, a lot of stuff going on there. But we are brought to you by Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNBR. You can get it at your local liquor store. Go to breckbrew.com and use their beer locator to find it near you anywhere in the U.S. Uh, I, I wonder if... Uh, they probably can you bring beer on planes? Is that allowed? I can't imagine the Nuggets guys brought it to Serbia. Three, three ounces or less. But like even in your in your checks bag? In your check bag, you can. Yeah. Oh, I think you yeah. can. Okay. So maybe they yes. brought some. I don't know. Yeah, they can take some breakfast brews out there. Uh go check them out. They're amazing. They have a bunch of cool merch too. Highly recommend these guys. Uh we I I'm gonna keep saying it just because it's time. Like I'm very ready to be back in the bar completed and and watching some sports. So hopefully that'll happen soon. Uh also brought to you by FOCO. You can go to FOCO.com to get all of your Colorado sports team merch. Yes, obviously they have the big four, but then also includes things like the Rapids and the Buffs. So college, whatever you want. They got you covered. They have tons of different merch. They can cover you head to toe in clothing, hats, shirts, jerseys, shorts. I think they have pajama pants I saw the other day. So tons of options. 
from FOCO. You can go check them out today and use code DNVR to get 10% off your purchase. If you're a bobblehead fan, you got to get over there. They have tons and tons of bobbleheads. So D-line, I'm sure, has been eating that up. Which, how, he's in Serbia, so he's asleep right now, so we can talk about this. <laughs> how many of his bobbleheads? What a soccer game right now, man. Oh, uh, it's, it's over, I thought. It's okay. Uh, anyway, how many of his bobbleheads have been destroyed at the bar? Are those all his? Yeah. Wow. It's so many. Yeah. Not a small amount. <laughs> 10 to 20. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. That's quite a few. Um, so if you need replacements, Foco's the place to go. Uh, third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Next on the list just happens to be the other team with a banger prospect pool in the Minnesota Wild. Now, their situation is a bit odd because for the next three years, they are in the buyout hell that they created for themselves. But they have Karel Kaprizov. They have Joel Erickson Eck locked up long term. They have a big RFA in Matt Boldy. Um, their defense in, in Spurgeon and Brodeen locked up long term. And then you get into the prospect pool and you're like, okay, Marco Rossi, Liam Ogren, a number of other guys on the forward side and defensive side as well. Honestly, Ryan O'Rourke, Carson Lambos, Jesper Wallstead, and Net. It's there is a lot to talk about when it comes to the prospect pool of the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, it's really good. Pisses me off. <laughs> um, obviously, when you have a superstar in Kaprizov, like a like a true blue, legit, high-end, elite player, it makes the rest of your life easier because you don't have to keep trying to get that guy. Now, you'd love to add to him, but uh, at, at each level where I think is, is interesting for the Wild, uh, the Dumba situation will be... Do they bring him back or not? I think is going to be a really important uh, aspect of this as well. But at each level of their prospect pool, there's a high-end player sitting there because uh, they've got some they've got some guys. Uh, honestly, at forward, uh, I like a couple of their gold, like Yester Wallstead, obviously, but Hunter Jones is another guy that I'm curious about. Uh, Adam Beckman, Matt Boldy, Marco Rossi, Kuznetinov, O'Rourke. O- O'Rourke is the uh, big defensive defenseman that's going to fit the wild style like a glove. Um, but then you get you get into Carson Lambos, Jack Pert. Like those are two really good young defensive prospects. Um, they've got they've got leading guys at each of those, and then they they seem to have figured out that. High-skilled Russian players are really good uh, because they, you know, going going and getting Kaprizov, but also Kuznetinov and Yurov in the first round this year. Like they they have gone after electric talents. They are trying to be they're trying to be the Avs. They are trying to they are trying, and they've got like if these guys hit, they will be. And that's what makes the that that one that's what makes the Wild the biggest threat to me five years from now. That's the team that I'm most concerned about, because Kaprizov's already in place. He's already young. He's already a monster. And some of these guys that they have coming, I I think that uh, Boldy is going to continue to be very very good. Uh, I think Marco Rossi, 
he's healthy now. He's moved on. Marco Rossi is going to be a, a big time problem. And, you know, the, I've always been a big Adam Beckman guy. Think that he could, I think he could be a real player, but you start to get, you start to put all these guys in the NHL together because they're, their NHL forward group is just waiting to be replaced, to be honest with you. Like, Zuccarello continues to age well. That's a short-term thing. Um, I really don't think we're going to see Ryan Hartman score 34 goals ever again. Um, I would be surprised if Marcus Foligno scored 20 goals ever again. Like, they they were maybe the number one beneficiary of a crazy high-scoring environment across the NHL last year. They got, uh, we're talking about Nashville getting career years out of guys. At least the career years that they got were from high skill players. <laughs> They've been really productive guys in the NHL before. And they weren't like, like, come on, man. Frederick Goudreau was barely in the NHL and he put up 44 points for them last season. It's a fucking joke. The, the, the way that the, the, that they produced last year. It's why I don't worry about them repeating that that success and being a serious threat in the division. I think they're really well coached, but they also now have Flurry who sucks and Philip Gustafson who's totally unproven. Like I Jesper Wallstead like has to be the to be the guy in a couple of years because they've got nothing at that position uh in the NHL right now that that you're afraid of. So Honestly, man, like it's it's the way that you just ended that is kind of like you said their their existing forward group is is just begging to be replaced. They have a couple guys. I really liked Matt Boldy in his draft year. I really liked Matt Boldy. You know, Marco Rossi had a great rookie year in the AHL, and so you know you you like those pieces. But beyond like you listed off a lot of names. But really, I, I feel like if you're Minnesota, those names, like, they have to hit. You have to get several of those guys to hit big. And, I mean, like, you guys know better than me, it is so hard. The, the gap between AHL and NHL is so much bigger than people think it is. Yeah. Like... It's, I mean, and we talk about it all the time with, I mean, you see tweeners every year. Dylan Sakur is a great example. Dude torches the AHL every year. He gets in the NHL. And I mean, like he's, he's, he's drowning to just survive. And, and that's not a slight against Dylan Sakura. That's just how good the league is. And you see a lot of these kids who are really promising and it's really easy to fall in love with your own prospects and, you know, so I, I do think if you're the wild, you've got a couple of guys, you're like, cool. We, we feel really good that Marco Rossi, Matt Boldy are going to come up and be able to be impact guys. One, how big of an impact can they actually be? Cause you see that all the time too. Once players get to the NHL, they settle into being good players, not great. And then can you get anyone else to come in and not just give you extra support in that bottom six, can you replace some of these guys that AJ was talking about are, are desperately needing to be replaced? Um, they are. We talk about draft picks in terms of lottery tickets. They've got a lot of lottery tickets. You have to be feeling good if you're Minnesota, but there's still just lottery tickets on, on most of those outside of the couple that you really do, uh, you know, feel, feel really good about. 
I think AJ's timeline too of something like in five years to come is really appropriate because a lot of these names are in that U20 group that just competed in World Juniors against their peer group. That the expectation of seeing them in the NHL anytime soon has to be tampered with the fact that they have a little bit of work to do before they would reach that level of competition. Um, but there are a lot of really awesome pieces there coming up through the ranks. And I know, I think we're talking specifically drafted within the Minnesota Wild organization, but Brock Faber alongside Jack Pert, who's coming up the ranks mm. for them defensively, is such a I forgot a he's in that org. Right, like it's it's the Fiala uh, yeah. gift, yeah. I guess. And so he's, a, he's as good as having Minnesota roots as if he was drafted there himself from where I stand, just because of what he means to Minnesota. So he's going to be a really stabilizing and unique right-hand defenseman coming up through the ranks that I think you could expect to see in the NHL sooner um, on the, on the back end there. Yeah. So I forgot all about Brock Faber. That's a great addition to that list because Faber, Faber and Lambos alone, uh, and Jack Pert, I'm. I don't personally love Jack Pert as much as some of the is some of the people in the industry, but those are some real building blocks for that defense. It's, well, it's interesting, right? Because you you have this three year window where they can push some of the ready prospects a little bit more aggressively, and then they get out of this buyout cap hell that they put themselves in, and they can really add pieces to what they've established. So, yeah. We'll see in the next three years, but I think after that is when you could really start to see them explode. The problem with that is that you're burning Kaprizov's prime. For sure. Because he's 28. He'll be 28 years old when they are on the other side of... uh, When they're on the other side of this cap stuff. And it's not... Obviously, that's not like, oh, he's bad now! (laughs) But, like, at that point, you're looking at, hey, he's probably got six years left at most as a high impact player instead of the, that would have been nine years. Well, and, and he is someone too. And then again, I'm not trying to say he's going to, but like, that's someone who's one of their strongest assets. One of their biggest tools is their skating. And like we mentioned a minute ago with Matt Duchesne, that's typically one of the things that you see go first is that ability to be ultra agile, quick in the corners, you know, real, uh, you know, shifty maneuverability. Um, that's the stuff that as players get into the back half of their thirties, which Kaprizov is a ways off from that. But just to your point, if you're talking five years down the road from now, well, suddenly that's not that far off for Kaprizov, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. I I forgot about, uh, him as well, Megan. And and we talk about how we give the abs a bunch of credit for finding some of those college UFAs, which really kind of take the place of mid round picks that you not miss on, but just don't develop into what you were hoping um, it's like the, the, the wild have a, they have a, a really, really good outlook in terms of what they could be replacing their lineup now. Um, if, if the majority of those players actually get to what we think they could be today, I would be surprised not cause it's the wild, but that's just, that's how a lot of this prospect development goes. You know, one of my favorite things to do is go back and watch like 10 year old world junior tapes. And just hear some of the names that were on those teams. It's like, oh my gosh, that was a fourth liner for seven years, and then he was out of the league. But like, Sam Gagne um, is going to be a superstar. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, dude, Jack Campbell. I was convinced. I was like, put Jack Campbell in the Hall of Fame now. He's never going to let in a puck. <laughs> Shutout streak of four straight years. Uh, it took him eight to make the league. 
Let's uh, let's move on to the team you found the most interesting, Jesse, in the Winnipeg Jets. Not really many long-term commitments at all for this team. Really only Kyle Connor, Adam Lowry, Josh Morrissey, and then PLD is an RFA, but you know, how does that situation end up playing out? We'll see. Uh, they do have some more immediate interesting prospects, Chaz Lucius. You know, what are they going to do with Billy Hanola? We'll see. But... Boy, I, I really play him. <laughs> play him. Stop playing these fucking baddies and play him and play Dylan Sandberg. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. This this is a team where like I don't know. There's a couple of prospects that AJ really likes. I'm sure this will surprise everyone. I'm not ultra dialed into the Winnipeg prospect pipeline. No, but like like there, there's a couple that AJ likes. Other than that, though, like they don't have really high end guys coming up through. They're high end guys that are currently there. Like you said, Rudo, there's no real long term commitments. There's a ton of uncertainty with who wants to be there. They've got an elite goaltender. And that is about the only thing that you can feel is solidified there. And even that, he had a, he like, he's had to battle a little bit these last couple of years, last year. Um, I just don't know what to make of this team. I don't know what to make this organization top to bottom like at all. Yeah, well, um, I I will say that um, this organization, depending on like if both Shifley and Dubois want out, then this is going to depend their future ranking or whatever is going to depend as much on how they handle those deals. Kind of like how the Flames handled that situation. Hey, you're going to lose a couple of these guys. How do you handle it? If they try and go futures on it, the city may burn itself down because they're already pretty pissed off. Um, I, I just, those two guys are kind of more so than any of the prospects. What does Shifley want to do? What does Dubois want to do? Uh, that, those decisions are going to have such a huge impact on everything that happens in the next five years that it's it's almost unfair to be like, well, Cole Perfetti's going to be really good, you know, because Cole Perfetti, by the way, is going to be really good. <sighs> but it, it it may not really matter that much. Um, you know, I've they've really weirdly, they've had some really small draft classes. Um, this last year, they had two first rounders. They got Rutger McGordy, who Ruto and I think sucks. And Brad Lambert, who just got healthy scratched at the end of the WJCs to send them to send him a message. They were like, he's too selfish. So we're sitting him in the metal round like it was messed up. So um, like some, even with the guys that they just drafted, the guys that you would get excited about, you got problems there. Um, quietly though, I am, there are things about their defense that I'm actually excited for. Uh, Josh Morrissey pretty quietly had a really nice, solid bounce back season. Neil Pionk has continued to overachieve given his God given talent. I would say, uh, Billy Hainala should be in the NHL. He's, he's looks like a solid player, but not a star. Dylan Sandberg, if he doesn't take Logan Stanley's job this year, Rick Bonus should be fired uh, because Dylan Sandberg looks like he's a stud to me. A really, really solid young player. And Logan Stanley fucking sucks. So it would be nice if they would make that decision. But really, 
Like the Jets, the Jets have plenty of talent. Uh, it's just, does that talent want to stick around? Can they get over their locker room issues? It's been a very divisive locker room for multiple years now. So that's kind of an important thing. Their culture surrounding the organization's not very good. Um, I would just say right now, this is an organization in flux. I don't see them as a contender immediately, but with Dubois and Shifley decisions looming, if they if they do well in those deals, it could really kickstart them into a good place. If they botch those deals, they're who's who's the top prospect in 2026? Because that's the kind of future that they could be headed towards. So uh, really, they are the tale of extremes right now based on uh, the uncertainty that they face. Okay. Megan, anything to add? I'm glad AJ just clarified that because um, of my list, this was one that I had a note for that the prospect pool specifically seemed to be the deepest to me, but I had questions surrounding the parent club and the identity of the current parent club and the the role and and, and the future for what that looks like immediately. Um, but looking down the depth, I thought this might be one of the strongest in the central division. Um, so what AJ just said did give me some clarity that some of the struggles are currently the present identity um, and that what's coming up the ranks could be good, but a lot of it will hinder on what happens with the parent club. So don't screw it up. <laughs> don't mess it up. <laughs> but yeah, there's lots lots of great names I plucked out of there that have some potential, I think, at the NHL level, but it's just not immediate. Yeah. It's, it's always a battle of now versus later, right, in the NHL, because you can't, you can't play the later game forever. And you can't play the now game forever. It has to be yeah. some of both. And, and she's she's right in that they their prospect pool is deep. There it, it goes probably fifteen guys deep that I could make an argument for as having like real NHL potential. But not enough of it is like the high end, high end. Right. Where if you start losing Shifley and Dubois, it won't matter. Well, and and, and I mean like the other thing too. You know, you, you talk about it goes 15 guys deep. How many of those... When your uh, prospect pool goes 15 guys deep, if you get seven real NHLers, you're slam dunking, right? Yeah, you've, right. you've done a fantastic job and, to get seven. And, and of those seven, if more than, what, two are, you know, considered to be, like, high end, not even elite, but, like, legitimate impact players, not just regular NHLers, like... Like you're smacking high fives for three weeks straight. Your palms are bloody. You're smacking so many high fives. Um, so it's just, it's tough. And then of those, you know, of those 15 guys, how many of them truly have upside to replace a guy like a Mark Shifley, stuff like that. And that's where I think if you're the, the Jets, you know, Megan, like you said, you look at it, you're like, wow, there, there's a lot of good upside here. How many of those can actually follow through on that? And then how many of those can be, legitimate players like what you need yeah i mean i think i think perfetti and Chaz lucius uh and and brad lambert are guys that legit offensive guys could be really really good but if they're replacing dubois if they're replacing dubois and shifley then you're treading water you're not getting right if you're adding them to those guys all of a sudden 
you're getting pretty nasty because Nick Ehlers, Kyle Connor, like there's there's real talent there. And if they can add to that group, because they've they've done a pretty decent job developing, not amazing, but decent job developing their talent. If they can add to that group, then you're in the money. If they don't, then it's it's not just Dubois and Shifley that could be out. Connor Hellbuck might just decide, I don't want him. I'm I'm good. I yeah, I'm done here. Yeah, because he's coming up on he's coming up on he's only got two years left. Yep. If those guys want out in a year, then it's... you're you have to talk about moving Bucky too. And if you do that, you're in true. You've burned it down. Yeah. Um. Okay. We do have one yeah. super chat from earlier in the show. I was like, do we have to talk about these last two? We all know. Well, yeah, right. I'm gonna. It's gonna be brief. Right. There's a there's a reason that these have been yeah pushed. Uh, two dollars from D Grove saying, "Agree 100. I will die on the hill with Landy and Makar." This is what from when we were talking about the abs. Thank you for the two dollars, D Grove. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah. So the last two. First of all, if you want in-depth talk about these organizations, go to our sister sites, PHNH and CHGO. Uh, they cover these teams every single day and to sum up these two teams <laughs> the hashtag for the phnx coyotes this year is shit the bedard nah. <laughs> so i'm so bummed that it that hard for bedard did not win yeah <laughs> it should have been hard for bedard no shit the bedard was elite i right? don't think hard for bedard was marketed well because it's the first time i've heard this yeah 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 i was gonna say i would have voted for it <laughs> Shit the shit the Bedard is I excellent. Like, I like that one because I've heard it a lot more too. Yeah, it's excellent. So I don't want to think. I don't want to say. Uh, I don't want to be taking away from it. But I thought hard for Bedard was it. But... Yeah, my my summary of these two teams are: look at what Detroit did this last year, and that's what you can expect from Arizona in five years. And then look at what Detroit did three years ago, and that's what you can expect from Chicago in five years. Done. Yeah, they're both – their foreseeable futures is immediate tank into Ouch. try and start the rebuild as soon as possible. And mm -hmm. look, both organizations have decent prospect pools that they're going to continue amassing. <laughs> but it doesn't really feel like either of them are anywhere near there yet to really start pushing in the right direction. You don't have they anyone that's going to replace Patrick Kane and Alex Debrinkat just like at the brim, you know what I mean? Yeah. They they each had three first round picks in this last draft, and I think both teams are still four thousand miles away from being any fucking good at all. <laughs> yes, yeah. So that yeah. Although Chicago has to be thrilled with how things have gone for Aiden Thompson, that is Sometimes looking like an, that looks like an absolute steal already for a third round pick to be trending the way that he is already, they've got to be just giddy. Yeah. It'll make up for blowing one of their picks on Sam Renzel. <laughs> well, we'll see. Arizona also kind of went insane with their third first overall pick. So. Yeah, they did the same thing. They were like, hey, let's get a really raw, gigantic defensive defenseman who can't play hockey. <laughs> Sounds good cool. to me. Great no, choice, I'm, guys. I'm sure Lammer is great. I'm sure he's an awesome kid, but Compared to Logan Cooley and Connor Geeky, different universe. Yeah, and boy, Logan Cooley and Connor Geeky versus uh, Kevin Korchinski and Frank Nazar is yeah, it's a really two really interesting comparisons yeah. there. You got, uh, <laughs> I sure feel like one team got rocked. 
and and one team like as much as I disagreed with Cooley over right, at least it's like look, you can at understand least the high end there. From. Yeah, right, it's conceivable. Which yeah. I like Korchinski, by the way, but I I also do like I have I don't have an issue with Korchinski. It's just like. Yeah, as an, as the seventh overall, it's whatever. It doesn't Megan, matter how I feel. I know you got to watch a lot of the Roadrunners last year. Do you feel a little bit better about it than we do? That's a no. <laughs> just, just, I want the Twitter promotion for this to be a screenshot of Megan's face with the question Rudo asked her. After watching the Roadrunners, do you feel better about the Coyotes than everyone else? All of the prospect pool that I highlighted for Arizona um, – very few, no, only one has played in the AHL, so he <laughs> had no influence on who I considered the top prospect. So when we say they're still years away, I'm telling you, Matthias Michelli. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my camera died, so that's the sign that it's time to end the show. Oh, oh, also, Dallas exists and nobody cares. Yeah, no one cares about Dallas. They're, they're not. Old. Yeah, Is they're in that organization under fifty. Like, jeez. <laughs> like, like Jason Robertson and Jake Ottinger, the only two guys they can't sign. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll talk about Dallas when they sign their RFAs. How about that? That's fair. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, I'm fair enough. See, see you in the middle of the preseason. <laughs> All right, we're out of here for the day. Thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us. We always appreciate it. I got to figure out. I'm going to have to like buy a second battery for this camera or something. Can't you just leave it plugged in? Uh, so I can't. We can talk about this off air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just talk about it right now, guys. Love you all. It's We only have another week of August to say it's August. Who cares? Yeah. Prospect yeah. Pyramid this week. Keep your eyes out for it. We will talk to you later. <laughs>